Welcome to RAS Talk, a podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RASTEC, the premier publication for RAS professionals. This podcast is sponsored by Innovacy. Innovacy, aquatic solutions built for life. Hello and welcome to another episode of RAS Talk. I'm your host, Marilyn de Guzman, and co-host Brian Vinci is also here with me. Hello, Brian. Hello, Marilyn. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, it's actually in the uh, 50s Fahrenheit down here in the States today, and it's sunny. So I'm looking forward to the spring and uh, the break in the winter weather. Yeah, I, I guess. Did you get that uh, nasty winter storm recently? We did. We got uh, snow uh, consecutive weekends in a row. So um, yeah, it's nice to see the temperatures increasing and um, spring coming. Yeah, it's it's uh it, it's nice. The weather is warming up here as well. The snow is starting to melt. So anyway, today we have two excellent guests that uh, we're going to be speaking with. Uh, we're going to be talking about precision aquaculture, and I'm so pleased to introduce our two guests today from Real Data. Um, we have Matthew Zimola, co-founder and CEO, and Hossein Salimian, co-founder and uh, CTO. Hello, guys. Hello, Marilyn. Hello, Brian. Hi, Marilyn. Hi, Brian. Hello. How are you guys? We are good. Thank you for joining us today. We're, we're glad that you're able to uh, talk to us about the innovations that you're doing at your company. Yeah, we're super excited to be on the podcast and we're really happy to talk about uh, what we're doing um, with respect to land-based aquaculture and AI. Matt Hussein, I noticed that you guys were recently highlighted in Beta Kit. Uh, magazine or online channel as one of seven Atlantic Canada startups to watch in 2021. That's kind of exciting. It is very exciting. And it uh, was great to be on that list, especially with looking at who else was on it. So we were uh, pretty flattered uh, when we seen that uh, article um, on BetaKit um, and seeing all the other companies that were on it and kind of just highlighting the Atlantic Canadian startup ecosystem. Yeah, the article says that you guys are a seed stage company founded by Matt and Hussein with us today. Um, and their farm management and automation platforms give customers real-time data insights to produce healthier, healthier fish in greater numbers for less cost. And I really want to dive into that today. I was hoping you guys could first um, tell us about real data and where the idea uh, to apply your computer science backgrounds to aquaculture came from. Yeah, absolutely. So me and Hussein met when we were finishing our graduate degrees at university, and we both uh, kind of had a passion to create a company with an impactful or sustainability approach to it. Um, and as we were finishing up our graduate degrees in computer science, we started we realized that we should be beneficial to really leverage the fact that we're in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and we're right on the ocean. And the ocean economy um, is uh, moving and exploding. Um, and the ocean, I guess, has a lot of problems with it, um, with certain economies that are in it. So we started calling up different industries. And once we started talking to people on fish farms, whether it was land-based or ocean-based, um, we realized that we could apply our machine learning or data science or computer science degrees and uh, solve pain points and problems that were introduced to us with all the conversations we had. 
Um, and it really gelled with our vision of sustainable, uh, sustainable startup. Um, we're working on things like food insecurity, food resource scarcity, sustainability. That was really kind of what kickstarted uh, real data. And um, once we got into the industry and started talking with everybody, um, our, just our network growing. And uh, we realized that this industry, speaking with everybody in it was pretty amazing. Everybody is very open to chat about technology and their work, whether it is in the ocean-based or the land-based industry. The fact that we were able to easily work with uh, land-based fish farms just really helped propel the company forward and to where it is today. So it sounds like you actually did a survey of areas that you could apply uh, your computer science backgrounds to. That's really interesting. And um, it sounds like you guys both knew each other from university, but what university was that? And was that um, engineering department or, or computer science or what's the, the connection there at the university level? Yeah, so me and Hussein both have undergraduate degrees in engineering, but we met um, in computer science. So we both ended up doing graduates. Uh, Hussein did his PhD and I did my master's degree. So um, we kind of met through Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. That's interesting. Uh, can you talk about some of the examples uh, or projects that you're working on right now where you're applying your technology? Absolutely. Um, as we started two years ago, we started uh, almost immediately working with a land-based salmon farm in Nova Scotia called Sustainable Blue. Um, and we learned a lot and built up um, different sources of software uh, and machine learning. And over the last two years, those are moving towards production. So um, things like biomass estimation with camera systems, uh, AI feeding and optimization, um, as well as things like learning from sensor data and kind of merging all of these different data sources to really understand real-time health and stress of fish to really help farms keep fish happy and healthy, as well as optimize growth. Um, and that's kind of where we what we've been doing over the last two years. Um, and it's uh, very interesting and uh, very challenging, but uh, I guess looking forward to the next couple of years, that's kind of what we're looking at, um, really just providing a platform for fish farms to be able to use tools like this to help them understand uh, these different metrics and optimize their farms. Artificial intelligence is really fascinating, especially as it's being applied into industries such as aquaculture. For listeners that are new to the whole AI and smart systems and data, big data thing, could you give just a little bit of an overview of how AI really works when it's being applied into an industry such as aquaculture? Yeah, so AI, if uh, anybody remembers um, when they're in high school, uh, making a graph and plotting a couple points on it and then drawing a line of best fit. That is kind of a really high level view of how some of this works. Um, you get a lot of data sources and a lot of points of data, and then you build a, a model and it basically can plot this in a lot of dimensions and map uh, different, I guess, points of data to um, an optimal output. So looking at biomass for fish um, either in ocean or land it all with camera systems it works more or less the same a data set of images of fish and their weights and then you have these images tied to a weight you have this huge data set of them and 
you build a model that basically says a smaller fish is 900 grams and this larger fish in this image is 5 kg and it kind of maps out across the whole board so even if you have a few fish that are 2300 grams and they have a little bit of a different morphometrics if you build up this large amount of data um, these ai models get pretty predictive so that's just generally to a high level of how uh things like that can work um, and it it kind of ties into all other i guess data sources as well and uh this is what i'm saying and uh, to add to that like what is fascinating about ai is uh imagine you have millions of data points and imagine a person or even a couple of person they want to sit and uh, analyze those data points uh, but we would be like as a human we are always limited to our capability to analyze those data or even find those uh, pattern that can exist on those uh, data points ai allows us to do that easily like ai goes uh, look at these all data points continuously like as you inject more data to it and find those patterns that's uh, sometimes impossible for us to find out it finds the different correlation, different relation be between different data points, and those turns to insights that we were not able before to find out. And sometimes, like uh, as human, even we don't think about them, but AI can find them and allow us to improve products. Matt Hussein, uh, you talk about you know incorporating all these uh, data into a model and then looking at the correlations and the predictive analytics. But what are the actual tools that uh, you guys are using in the field, like at Sustainable Blue? What is generating the data for the AI work that you're doing? It all starts with any AI really, I guess at this scale, really started with manually um, generating data and understanding the problems. And then I guess going forward, uh, I'll take an ocean-based example. Um, sea lice counting is very popular. Uh, pain point within the ocean. Um, so the people that actually had to develop these camera systems to automate things like sea lice counting and understand it would take thousands of images of fish. They basically then in each image will draw a little box around each piece of uh, sea lice and that would be the data set for these people. So it's always uh, starting off pretty manual trying to understand it, especially with the, the types of applications for aquaculture and that's kind of i guess how ai to a high level gets built up for farms so it's understanding kind of what can be done and then building up and annotating large amounts of data to do this and then once all that um, timely work is complete you could uh, build models and try and uh, automate and understand different aspects of uh, farms you mentioned uh, sea lice, um, but that's a net pen based uh, aquaculture uh, challenge. Why did you guys decide to focus on land based uh, recirculation systems instead of net pen aquaculture AI? Because, you know, there are companies out there that focus on the net pen aquaculture problems like sea lice counting. And yeah, I think you just kind of said it. Um, it is focus. So, um, that was something that we understood after talking with farms that have worked with land-based farms that have worked with ocean-based companies and even speaking with the ocean-based technology providers working with land it's there's limited resources so if you're developing things like sea lice models for net pen um 
that's the market um, you're really focusing on. Um, whereas with land-based, building this technology is, is, is challenging and resource consuming. So even things like a biomass camera in the ocean is not really easily transferable to land-based because of stocking densities, um, different water parameters, um, things like tides in the ocean. So where we wanted to do is we wanted to really focus on one and we seen the potential uh, for land-based aquaculture and RAS and it really Again, we started this company because we wanted to lean into some sustainability, um, resource scarcity. So um, land bases, we were really excited about it. Over the last two years, just seeing this paradigm shift that's happened happened within it, really led by kind of the innovators like uh, Atlantic Sapphire, Aqua Bounty, and then they really paved the way to uh, kind of open the floodgates of investment that just kind of took over the industry in the last uh, year. Do you think companies that are focused on net pen aquaculture right now can adopt their technologies to grass? With resources, you could always do that, but um, it is very difficult. And things like you said, Brian, sea lice is a problem for the ocean. So there's not really going to be an application for that in RAS. Things like biomass cameras absolutely can, but even doing biomass in Norway to something in Chile or Scotland, it's it's still even adapting from those environments is is a technological hurdle, um, and then kind of bringing it into RAS is just a, a completely another animal. So it's it's doable um, to some extent, but I think companies really need to focus and really work with farms to help develop these technologies as with partnerships and kind of learning from each other and. If you're going to do that, I think you need to either lean into the ocean or lean into the land, and we chose land. You mentioned there a couple things that distinguish net pen aquaculture from recirculation aquaculture systems. I'd like to dive into this just a little bit. You mentioned biomass density as one thing that distinguishes the net pen aquaculture from RAS um, and water quality. But what aspects of, of the differing biomass and what aspects of the water quality really distinguish the NetPen uh, AI from the RAS AI? I mean, are there certain things about RAS that make uh, either the, the cameras for biomass estimation or for feeding optimization uh, uniquely challenging? Um, yeah, so for biomass, definitely. Um, if you have... For these biomass cameras, um, for those people that um, are unfamiliar with them, generally they have two uh, camera sensors spaced out approximately seven to 10 centimeters. And when fish are swimming by, there's an image taken um, and there's comparative result that go from the left frame to the right frame. And it works kind of like your eyeballs do. You can get a depth measurement from uh, how far the fish is away to the camera system. But what happens um, when you have high stocking densities or, or things, challenges that come up with RAS uh, with respect to this specific technology is that um, the fish generally like the camera and they uh, kind of crowd in front of the two sensors. So um, the vast majority of the time fish, uh, you're taking images or video of fish, you're only seeing a piece of the fish because they're so close to the sensor. Um, and another thing with that as well is um, because RAS are recirculating, fish generally 
especially when compared to the net pen, are relatively stationary. And um, when you're taking lots of uh, images or videos and trying to automate tasks like this, you, with the RAS and the biomass cameras, uh, you're taking an image of the same fish over and over and over and over again. And it's really hard to, uh, that just kind of pollutes the biomass distribution that you would get with it. So um, that's just one of many examples. And with RAS as well, um, we see it as a superpower too, uh, compared to the net pen and ocean, because the wonderful thing about RAS is that environmental parameters are, again, compared to the ocean, way more controllable. So temperature and all that stuff. So when you're looking at doing things like AI, um, you could remove some of the bias of fluctuating temperatures and you can really could start honing down on different experiments. So if you're doing a feed experiment, um, testing different feed types, being able to just hold temperature uh, constant is, is pretty important. Um, so you don't even have to worry about that too much influencing the experiment. So uh, yeah, just, there's just a ton of different, different nuances when you're talking about ocean-based uh, technology and land-based technology. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about sort of the economics of uh, like any piece of technology that's being implemented, I guess it, it, it requires a bit of an investment. Um, so for for our listeners who are maybe thinking about applying these innovations and, you know, AI and machine learning systems, what kind of efficiencies can they see um, when they're adopting these types of AI technologies and improvements in their RAS operation? I'll talk about AI feeding. I guess industry standard is you don't really want to overfeed, but you want to try and hit this optimal point. So trying to understand what that optimal point is, um, is very important. Um, in RAS, there's going to be a little bit of spill all of the time. So being able to keep that spill rate constant uh, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year is very important. So fish are never underfed um, and they're never overfed. So you're constantly feeding them. And that's really challenging because you can't sit there all day long changing the amount of feed going into a tank, especially when you're thinking about how some of how big some of these farms are. So you can't be monitoring 50 tanks feeding 24 hours a day. So the importance of things like AI technology with respect to feeding optimizes it, in, increases growth, reduces uh, uh, wasted spill. And then it also keeps uh, the process system uh, at a more stable state. So just thinking back to my undergrad in chemical engineering, you want to keep all these processes. You don't want to have dynamic state with processing systems. So uh, increase of wasted feed going into filters and a decrease of wasted feed going in filters overall isn't, isn't the best thing to do. So just keeping everything at a constant state is, is also very important because then it also ties into things like water quality as well. So I guess that's kind of where we're looking at with that and the economics behind it. Um, it kind of gets a little bit complicated because things even like AI feeding touch into so many different aspects like water quality, system dynamics, underfeeding, overfeeding, all of that. And then just being able to now with AI feeding, uh, you can do more rigorous experiments around uh, your feed regimes or things like um, your feed contents. So um, it just kind of hits a bunch of different areas. Uh, and so saying, and to add to that, Matt mentioned actually you know, one of the advantage, uh, if we call it advantage, like RAS systems, uh, 
there are a lot of parameters that you can control and uh, using AI allows to get more insight from these parameters. So look, you have this massive amount of data from different sensors, from different operation and uh, actions. So having all these data points, put them together, have data from feeding, put them together, aggregate them, uh, get insight, it allows to improve the uh, operation and which ends to like saving and also increase the yield and uh, have a better result. Do you think that these technologies um, are allowing for uh, an increase in, in overall profitability um, at this point, or is this still something that's uh, in development? Um, absolutely. I Even with the, the technology we have, it's going to increase profitability overall. Um, I have no doubt in that. Um, and then just the way it's going to build up over time. Um, we can do things now because we have, I guess, standard in the industry is they have a, farms will feed their fish. They have a feeding regime. Uh, for example, some farms will turn down feeding systems at night and turn them up during the day. What we can do is kind of a dynamic approach. So um, we're constantly changing the appetite all day long. So maybe your fish actually get hungry yet two in the morning and you're feeding way more aggressively. Um, RAI would actually know that. Um, and then I guess all these other little value propositions too. So just like humans, if fish get stressed out, uh, appetites change. So being able to see these huge uh, fluctuations in appetite can also map to things like stress and all of that type of stuff. But just with being able to increase growth and uh reducing feed spill um, and really optimizing feed is, is a huge benefit to uh, land-based fish farms. Yeah, you guys know that um, we are very interested in this at the Freshwater Institute. And, and in fact, you know, we've had conversations with both you and Hussein uh, offline about uh, how, maybe ways to collaborate. One of the things I want to mention um, for our listeners and for you guys is we are very interested in, in creating um, optimal fish health and welfare. Um, other areas of precision agriculture have done this uh, with uh, their animals. Uh, there's a, a happy cow index um, that has been developed. <laughs> and, and I honestly think that we, we need to be working towards a happy fish index. And, you know, um, identifying uh, parameters through the vision, uh, the machine vision, and the AI algorithms that uh, reduce stress, provide fish the, the conditions that they want, when they want them, and uh, quickly identifies any problems. And I, I think that last one is really important, which is kind of getting ahead of any issues, whether it's uh, through hunger or through uh, you know, the health of the skin, which is a, a really big thing for fish. And I hope you guys are uh, will be working towards that in the future. We would, we really think that there's value in creating a, an optimal environment and um, somehow using these technologies to make sure that the fish are um, in good health and welfare. That is uh, something that we're very um, interested in as well. I never heard of the happy cow index, but I'm going to look it up after uh, we finish with this podcast today. But this is something we're already working on too, and uh, collaboration within the industry is uh, key to success. Um, we have data sets now with things uh, around fin damage or lesions and uh, maturity and all of this stuff, as well as kind of swimming patterns. Um, and that's really 
I guess, going forward uh, when we can kind of map these all together and have predictive insights as well as indexes. That's something that is very interesting to us. And we're looking for partners and farms to work with to build this out with. And I guess that, that's one of the most interesting things about uh, this position technology using data, because as the more data you feed into it, the more precise it becomes, right? I want to ask you about future trends outlook that you're seeing. Like what's the next uh, AI technology development? Uh, what trends are you seeing in the next area of AI development that's being that's going to be applied in aquaculture or any specific technologies that you see coming in the next few years that will be uh, applicable to the industry? We're looking forward. Um, we see applying this technology at scale is a completely different technological hardship than doing things on a smaller scale. So the next for us is being able to really optimize large scale farms and really help farms understand operationally how they could better grow fish, um, increase revenues and decrease costs and things like that. I would love to say that um, a fully automated farm uh, um, would be something in the next decade or so, but um, I think that's overshooting it a little bit. Um, there's a lot of complexity that goes into a lot of this software and a lot of this AI. Um, but I think over the next five or so years, it's going to be stuff like fish health and welfare and really getting, as, getting everything as efficient as possible, especially because with RAS, it has that superpower of being able to control a lot of parameters. Um, I think being able to understand all of that is the next big step for RAS. So um, over the last many years, um, the pioneers in the industry have shown that RAS is possible. And I think the next step is the fact that RAS generates all of this data um, and applying all of it to things like machine learning and AI to really optimize and increase efficiencies. You've mentioned predictive analytics uh, earlier. Is that something that's really uh, you know, being taken advantage of fully now that you're able to um, really do some predictive anal- analysis thing, you know, trending and, how ac- and the accuracy of that? Um, yeah, I think it's getting better and better. Um, all farms have growth models for their fish. So that's kind of a predictive analytics um, that's been in the industry for a long time. Now it's, again, leaning into the uh, the fact that we have all of these data sources with RAS. So um, I think it's early, but I think farm farms are definitely doing it and are very interested in it. Um, I think just being able to partner with people that have machine learning and AI experience and being able for those people to partner with fish farms and work collaboratively to build out these solutions together is um, where it's going next. And uh, this is Hussein. And uh, as Matt mentioned, that predict analytics uh, has been used in the industry. And what makes it more possible and more accurate is that uh, uh, collective of data, like having more data, collecting more uh, information and uh, using AI make this uh, predictive analytics more accurate and more realistic. And that's one of the vision we have and we are working and we are hoping by having this as we go forward, allow and helping farms to grow actually faster and uh, scale and become bigger. And uh, that we love to see that RAS uh, industry uh, become a next big things. Yeah. I guess Brian would know as well, too, with this, even touching on the uh, growth curves again, 
the fact that you can really hold temperature pretty stable would look at uh, making things more accurate when comparing it to things like the ocean. You would have just a better grasp of how fish are growing because it is temperature dependent. Um, you know how much feed is going in the system and um, to some extent how much feed is actually going out of the system because with grass you can see these things. Um, with the ocean uh, you really don't know as precise how much feed is actually being wasted. Yeah but there are tools in the net pen industry that they've developed over the last really 15 years that do help them on the waste feed. I know you guys have been out to the pens and they have waste feed cameras that the operators can now uh, see from the uh, the station and they uh, essentially tailor their feeding based on visual observation of the waste feed that's falling down. But is there any like bottleneck that you see for the wide scale application of, of AI to RAS? I mean, right now there's a lot of capital flowing into these projects. So I can't imagine that's capital. Um, the one thing you did mention earlier, Matt, was scale, you know, actually getting these things up to scale. But um, what do you see as the, you know, the biggest bottleneck for, for any farm being able to apply this and have it create a positive effect for their bottom line? Yeah, scale isn't a big thing, uh, but we're just working together. Um, people that have the skill sets in AI generally don't have the skill sets for RAS. So just being able to openly work together uh, for the greater good um, is, I think, the biggest bottleneck, but also the biggest power that can come with developing solutions like this. Like, does it matter whether they have open source technology that's, that they're using or proprietary? Like, you can pretty much plug in your technology? Yeah, we're hardware agnostic. We tell farms to go do X, Y, and Z, buy off-the-shelf camera systems, put it in this place and then we just connect to all of their systems and generate the efficiencies that way. So um, we're, we've moved away from hardware and have been more of a software and AI focused company. And because of the pandemic, we can't, it's, it's challenging to travel to Europe and things like that. So it's forced us to really think creatively about installing and uh, providing hardware services to companies. So we've created a way that Farms could just kind of read our documentation, get the bare minimums of an underwater waterproof camera, um, some cables that run it to a server, and a connection to the cloud. I, I will just comment on, on your previous um, note about water temperatures. It may be beyond my career that we get to this point, but I think AI is so powerful in achieving the goal state, uh, such a radical idea, um, a, a temporal goal state that is constantly changing, that uh, you may see that the AI points us to certain water temperatures certain cer during certain life stages, and then maybe increased temperatures during other life stages so that the growth becomes optimized for that stage. And then again, another water temperature uh, for a later stage, uh, thereby optimizing the full biological potential of the fish. Because right now in RAS, especially for salmon, and I, I can't really speak to all species, but this is probably true for all species. That is, uh, there are optimums that we just don't quite know yet. And it's going to take the tools that real data and others are developing for us to make those insights uh, to improve the operations. So I think it's really exciting. And I want to thank both you guys uh, for 
being on the podcast today. I think our listeners will be seriously interested in in hearing about um, how you're applying AI and uh, and what it involves. Um, and I'll just wrap up with, I guess, a final question to you guys, which is um, if there are farms out there who are listening and they want to uh, work with you on AI for their facilities, how do they do that? Um, yeah, they could reach out to myself or Hussein directly. Um, LinkedIn is uh, something that we communicate with a lot as well. Um, and our website, realdata.ai. So real is spelled R-E-E-L uh, with a little play on words with the fact that we were a computer vision company in aquaculture. So really those LinkedIn is probably or, or the website are probably the two best ways to do it. And yeah, absolutely. We're happy to start working with more clients in the uh, land-based and RAS industry um, to build out solutions that they think are impactful and beneficial to the industry. Thanks again, guys. And, and Brian, thank you. I'll see you again next time. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having Brian. us. Bye. This Rest Talk episode is sponsored by Innovacy. Innovacy, aquatic solutions built for life. For the latest RAS-related news, visit rastechmagazine.com. Join us again next time for another engaging conversation on Rastalk.